listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. Welcome to another episode. This podcast, of course, part of the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Uh, don't forget, subscribe to us. You can rate us as well wherever you get your pod fed, podcast fix. We are on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. We are there. And of course, for everything Lakers, don't forget, check out silverscreenandroll.com. We have you covered with breaking news, stats, opinions, analysis, and more. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter as well, at LakersSBN. On with me today, from Forum Blue and Gold, also co-host of the Lakers Film Room podcast, Darius Soriano. Darius, what's going on, my man? Not much, just, you know, enjoying my last weekend day before we head back to the work week. So, how about yourself? I'm doing okay. Uh, caught a little bit of the NFL, and and we were talking about uh, you're not you're not into it as much anymore, all right? Like I, you you were talking about that a little bit before we got started here. So, what do you do on a typical Sunday then? Oh man, a typical Sunday. I usually wake up and I run a little bit. Um, I try to get in a run two or three miles on Sundays, um, and then. <laughs> This is going to sound like I'm so washed. It's um, <laughs> weekends or Sundays are a day where I typically like take my kids and we go like shopping of some sort. Like I take them to Costco or I go to the grocery store or like weekends are a time for me to run errands. And so Sunday football has been replaced by dad life. <laughs> well, I don't think that makes you sound washed. I think that makes you sound like a good, responsible father. So I think you can, you can sure. take the credit on that one. I uh, think that there's an overlap, though, there, with, like in the Venn diagram, like <laughs> responsible father and washed life. There's probably <laughs> me sitting right there in the middle. So. Well, I'm, I don't have any kids, and uh, I'll tell you, my life isn't too exciting on a Sunday <laughs> On a Sunday either. So, uh, as Darius mentioned recording this, on a Sunday night, officially 30 days away, NBA season kicking off. Uh, how excited are you for things to get going? I'm super excited, um, not just because of the prospects for um, a Lakers season where they should be trending up, but just in general, this is another offseason, right, where the Lakers just were a lottery team again when they weren't expected to be. So it's really been since April, since we got to see the Lakers play um, meaningful games in years past, at least summer league might be something that fans would get invested in right with all the young players that the Lakers had on past iterations of, of their roster, but um, not this season, right? Their only draft pick, um, Taylor Horton Tucker, he didn't mm -hmm. even play. So I literally had zero investment in what summer league looked like. The draft wasn't too exciting. Um, you, you know, obviously there were big waves made in free agency and that was exciting to a certain point, but I'm really just sort of looking forward to seeing actual games again, having training camps start, get into the preseason and then for another regular season. So I'm excited. You? I, same here. I'm I'm honestly counting down the days till we till we get going with uh, with the real games. And I mean, it'll be good to see what LeBron and and these guys are getting together in Vegas. I'm sure they'll be putting in some work during the day, nighttime. Yeah, we'll see how how much uh, what, what they're really up to uh, in Sin City there. But for me, I'm I'm in the same boat. Um, I just think with the excitement around the team and and when you're looking at 
the expectations and really the openness in the NBA. I think that's the, the biggest thing is you have so many teams that can win the championship this year. And it feels like it hasn't been that way in, in a long, long time. I mean, you can go back to the beginning of the decade. You had LeBron and, and, and the Heat where it was kind of expected. I mean, it was, it was for me, it was good to see Dallas win uh, in 2011 just because it was kind of out of nowhere. But then after that, it's been a little bit predictable. I, I would say the Warriors winning in, in, um, in 2015 the way they did, that might have been a, a little bit, uh, not, not a surprise, but they were considered a, a good team and a favorite coming into that. But, uh, you know, just to me, the, the, really the, the parity in the league is something we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, I think in any given season, you can expect, at least in the last decade, four or five teams who really feel like they could win a championship. And I think even last year, that was pro probably the case. The Warriors were still super favorites, and they were at the top of the class and headlining that group of four or five teams. But even a team like Houston, um, I think that there were high hopes for the Raptors, um, potentially even the 76ers, and then the way that the Bucks jumped out in the East, I think that those were probably the five teams that most analysis would would have said, okay, like these, well, these guys can win. I think this season you're probably looking at double that number, anywhere, yeah. you, you know, eight, eight to ten teams who could viably say that they make a conference finals, um, then it's really just two more series, and depending on matchups, they can win. And I think the Lakers are in that group as well. Oh yeah, for, uh, for sure. And I'm in, I'm in the same boat as you. I, I think with uh, what you're seeing in in the West right now, I, I don't expect the Lakers to be a number one seed in the West. I, I think that's going to be more reserved for teams like Utah and Denver, who are. Going to put a lot of as they should put a lot of importance on on the regular season and play their guys, you know, night in and night out. I mean, Denver, a uh, little bit of a younger team there too. Whereas with LeBron, and you're probably going to get some load management with him throughout the year. So I'm expecting the Lakers to be somewhere in the in the top three or four again, depending on how things shake out. And injuries are always a variable that that play a, a huge part in in what happens in the season, as we saw last year. Um, but that that to me is, you know, way down the line. I think short-term, when you're looking at, at this team, I mean, they're, they're ready together at Impact Basketball uh, in Vegas, as we were mentioning off the top. Uh, the players are all staying together, doing their own thing, and then they're going to report uh, back for training camp and, and media day, which is on uh, September the 27th, coming up here soon. When you look at um, this team as a whole, though, and, and, and I've said this since they made the hire, right? I mean, the, Frank Vogel, no secret, he wasn't the number one choice for, for the franchise. They, they wanted to go a couple of different directions. Uh, Ty Lue reportedly obviously was, was pretty close to, to signing on. Um, and then they looked like they settled on, on Frank Vogel. Now, he, he mentioned something. You can read this story as well on uh, silverscreenandroll.com. Uh, Christian kind of aggregated the work today and, and talked about what uh, Mike Trudell of Lakers.com talked about with um, – Pardon me, spoke with uh, Frank Vogel about. Now, Frank Vogel mentioned that there's going to be some speed bumps, especially in the beginning with all these new people coming in and, and figuring things out. Now, I think they have the benefit of the fact that a lot of the guys are veterans. But when you look at Frank Vogel as a coach, what is the biggest concern you have in your mind with how things could go wrong with him standing, uh, being kind of the leader of the team? I think in terms of where things could go wrong, um... I think that there are open questions with him about how his offense will operate. Um, 
you he's he's known mostly as a defensive coach. He was really good in Indiana, but that was literally like two eras ago, it feels like, in yeah. terms of iterations of the type of basketball that is now being played at the highest level. Um, and then his most recent stint in, in Orlando, he didn't have the horses there in order to be super competitive, but um, that was a bad team. Like he got out to a fast start his second season and then they faded pretty quickly. So I have questions about his offensive design, um, whether or not he's going to be able to optimize a roster that doesn't necessarily have a traditional point guard. Um, you, you know, in, in Indiana, some of his roster construction in a way mirrors a little bit what the strength of the Lakers um, looks like it could be right. Like the, his best teams in Indiana had sort sort of this, this uh, great two way player on, well, on the wing in, well, in Paul George, LeBron James isn't quite the there in terms of a defensive pre presence to be considered a fantastic two way player at, at this stage of his career. But, but his offensive game in terms of being an, an all-purpose wing is probably still above the level that Vogel experienced with George when he was coaching in in Miami, but or not or not in Miami, but in Indiana. But another strength of that team was in his big men, um, David West and Roy Hibbert and that sort of mirrors where the strength of the Lakers roster currently stands, where you could probably argue that their three best or three of their four best, depending on how you might rank Danny Green versus Kyle Kuzma, are basically all front court players, right? With LeBron and um, Kuzma and then, of course, Anthony Davis. So I, I'll be very interested to see how Vogel evolves his offense in order to incorporate the type of dynamic play that he can get from... Um, you you know, a bunch of hybrid big men because LeBron is basically a small forward, power forward guy who's going to hand the ball a lot, and Davis is essentially um, a power forward center, and then Kuzma is sort of a combo forward as well. So so what can he do within his offensive schemes to to optimize that group, and then? One other concern that that I have, and I'm sure that this is going to be a talking point throughout this this podcast, is how much does he lean on veterans, um, specifically Rajon Rondo? Um, one of the things that was brought up in Trudell's post um, or his interview with with Vogel was the idea that Rondo and LeBron, the advanced metrics or lineup data, uh, did not support them as being a combo that worked well together but Vogel sort of pushed back against that in an interesting way and 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 while this is your pod and your talk talking to me I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you thought about that specifically because because I'm trying to get my head around it a little bit too I'm, I'm in the same same boat as you I, I think when you look at somebody like like Rondo um and and he brings a lot in terms of obviously experience and and leadership, but the data and the numbers show he's not very good, especially on the defensive end. And 
the team struggled with with him. And then, you know, you could read, I read your post that you put, and you can check that one out at foreignblueandgold.com uh, as well. Alex Regular wrote about this uh, yesterday on silverscreenandroll.com as well. Like the differences in in the numbers and, and from what you're seeing with, with Rondo and James on the floor together, and that's specifically for those two. But if you look at um, the numbers with Alex Caruso, he's a better defender. He's, uh, to me, I think a better option from, from the three-point line, although he's not a great offensive player by any means. But just his athleticism and the defense he brings, I think that that's going to be key. And, and I think for, with Vogel, looking at it the way he is and, and kind of talking about um, you know, wanting to look at tinkering things to make things work, even if they're not, like I think he has to look at his leaders in terms of LeBron and, and Anthony Davis because they're basically one and, and one A. You know what I mean? They're going to be interchangeable depending on the night. But I think he obviously has to have them under control to a certain degree. Like you can't be a pushover at the same time dealing with somebody like LeBron. Otherwise, LeBron's going to run roughshod on you. I mean, I've had uh, Brian Windhorst on the podcast with me a couple of times, and he obviously has been around LeBron uh, basically his whole career. And he, he's talked about the fact that, look, LeBron is a patient man when it comes to dealing with outside the world. But when it comes to basketball and the NBA, like he is not he doesn't have patience for for being average. And I think with Vogel, he's going to be on a short leash if he starts giving too much rope to guys like uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting balance that Vogel's going to need to strike with his two superstar players, um, especially from LeBron. Um, I've definitely read and heard um, Winhurst talk a lot about LeBron and how July and August LeBron is not the same as like January and February LeBron, right? And mm -hmm. this idea that um, he's definitely coming into the season with, with an open mind and by saying all of the right things and, and when horses even said, like he believes that LeBron believes the things that he's saying right now, but saying those things now does not, automatically translate to him saying and feeling these same things um, on a random Wednesday night in January. So it'll be interesting to see how Vogel handles that. It'll be interesting to see how much um, the word that you used earlier in, in terms of tinkering, how much time Vogel spends tinkering with things, trying to find the right personnel groups um, to try to optimize players that I think he wants to play versus seeing if there are alternative options that don't include some of those veteran players and whether or not he is uh, flexible enough to go to them should some of those lineups and smaller samples show that they can be more successful than one of the ones that he prefers to play in larger samples. If Well, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it does, and I think that's that's kind of where that's where I I'm at with with the Frank Vogel thing, and and I I think the team actually did him a bit of a disservice by adding Jason Kidd. Um, I think that's going to add some pressure on on Vogel, and he's going to kind of have to look over his shoulder because you look at that the schedule. I mean, they start off with obviously the tough Clippers team, although Paul George his status not re really known at this point, and then they're they're in Utah, which will be a tough game on on Friday, October twenty fifth, and then he goes through a run. Really, where until about uh, they, they play uh, San Antonio might be a team on the outside looking in. But if you look at the schedule, going from from that October 27th game or pardon me, October 25th game against Utah uh, through till 
they play Denver on December the 3rd. There's not a lot of tough games in that stretch. And, I mean, they play at home against Golden State, who will obviously be without Clay Thompson. Um, so they're not going to be at full strength. But the rest of the rest of those teams are basically outside-looking-in playoff teams, except for maybe Toronto, um, who I expect to be a 5-6 seed in the East. But if he gets off to a rough start, especially with that easy of a schedule, going the first you know, 18, 20 games, I think the people at Pitchforks are going to be out right away. There's not going to be a lot of patience right, for him if he is struggling with finding the right lineup uh, combinations or if the offense isn't, isn't looking smooth because that's been one of his downfalls is he, he ran kind of an ugly system with, with the Pacers. He said he's evolved from that. Obviously, God willing, um, that, or God, I'm hoping to God that that, that actually has happened. Otherwise, we're going to be seeing 1990s-style um, basketball. But uh, I do think that that's on him. Like, he's got to figure it out real quick. Otherwise, the pressure is going to be on. To, and, and if you go through the first 45, 50 games and this team's sitting, you know, three, four games above 500, do you think the Lakers would actually look at making a change at that point? I don't, actually. You think, uh, they're, you think they're married to, to staying with him for a while? I, I do think that. Um, mm. One of the reasons why I think that is the Lakers have sort of, I would say it this way, is, is that they've invested in a lot of people who are capable, right? And there's one angle of looking at it, which is definitely the way that you just framed it, which which I think is certainly a viable way of of looking at this is is that Jason Kidd is on this staff. Uh, Frank Vogel has had um, a history of of not necessarily being the most um, forward thinking person regarding offense. Um, the Lakers have an entirely new roster that's been basically turned over by by 60 or 70 percent and i think vogel is trying to tamper down expectations a little bit by talking about this idea that they could get out to a little bit of a rough start my thing is though is that the lakers should understand and I think that they probably do understand, or at least I'm hopeful that they do, is that they need a certain amount of stability in this season with, while they're still sort of courting Anthony Davis going into the next season, where he is going to be essentially a free agent next summer and that they're going to look to be signing him and bringing him back hopefully to a long-term deal, but even if it's like a one plus one or two plus one or three plus one, similar to the contract that LeBron signed, even though they'll have his full, his full bird rights and, and could sign him for up to five years. So I think that they need, that they need to have a certain amount of stability in place. And that should be their number one priority based off of some of the things that Palinka has done. Um, now that Magic Johnson is gone, I think that he understands that by, and I think that's reflected in some of the contracts that he handed out on the player side, that they 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 did not opt for a bunch of one-year deals. They opted for two-year deals or three-year deals for most of the players that, that they signed um, who were above the minimum, right? And I think that, they're trying to promote a certain amount of 
of stability with the contracts. I think stability with the level of assistant coaches that that they've hired. And they did not. And Frank Vogel, I think, while we can sort sort of cast a certain amount of um, or a certain number of aspersions around him, he is a very good NBA head coach who's had a lot of success in this league. He this is not his first rodeo. Um, and I think that he'll do well to understand the scope of the job, the nature of the job and, and what he's gotten himself in to, to a certain extent. So I actually expect him to do well at the beginning. The schedule is in the Lakers favor. Um, I was just looking at it as, well, 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 as you were talking, there there are a couple of sort of under the radar landmine games. Like you mm-hmm. mentioned the Spurs, but I would always but I would also mention like the Mavericks. The yeah. Mavericks are a team um that could certain that a lot of folks, a lot of smart folks think could be in that sort of 10 to 8 range and right on the verge of being able to compete for a playoff spot, especially if Porzingis is healthy. So but that said, I do expect the Lakers to come out relatively strong. And I think Vogel is playing this the right way by sort of saying, look, 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 let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. We have a lot of work work to do and being very coach speak about some some of these things. Well, I think that he's going to be preparing this team to come out with a fast start personally. So we'll see if it goes goes that way, but um, that's my expectation. Yeah, that's uh, you brought up an interesting point about Anthony Davis, and and I, I want to jump on that and ask you a couple more questions. Uh, we'll get into that after a short break. All right, and we are back. Uh, you mentioned Anthony Davis. You know, trying to appease him a little bit and and not looking so short term that, yeah, you want to show him some stability. Again, the whole Dwight Howard thing from 2012, 2013, thank God it was in our rearview mirror up until this this offseason. But when you when you bring in a talent like that, you want to be able to make sure, like you said, that he ends up staying. When you look at the Lakers and LeBron is going to turn 35 in, in December and he's got another year left after this, plus a player option for for an extra season. So two more years after this potentially of LeBron. And if you look at AD, like you mentioned, he signs a one plus one or a two plus one or a three plus one, whatever he chooses to go with at a certain point, does this become Anthony Davis's team while LeBron is still on the roster? I think so. Yes. I think LeBron is already trying to set it up where they are more um, partners than they are. I'm like the big brother and you're the little brother. Um, I think that if you read, um, the Chris Haynes piece that was up at Yahoo, where he was talking about, um, LeBron sort of going to management and coaches and talking about how he really does want to, to feature Anthony Davis. And I think Davis is ready to sort of embrace that, well, that role. Um, so, but I should make, make a distinction here. I think that. There is by so say LeBron picks up his player option and he goes into a fourth season with the Lakers. I think it will be that fourth season where 
Anthony Davis's production, if they're still teammates, will start to outpace LeBron's production, even if LeBron is still the quote-unquote like leader and still looked at as um, that sort of Kobe Bryant-type figure that Kobe was near the end of his career, right? Where he will always carry a certain amount of cachet, but I think that Davis, over the next two or three seasons, this is his time to sort of catapult himself into that discussion of being one of the top two or three players in the league. And I think LeBron will do well to help Davis get to that point because that will only increase LeBron's longevity and legacy as well. I sort of see it as similar to the relationship that LeBron had with Dwayne Wade when they were when they were with the Heat. Now that was a different time in both of their careers, right? They were both basically still in their prime, but Wade was still considered one of the top, you know, five or six players in the league during their tenure, but he took a backseat to LeBron, whose production was going to be the thing that drove the team forward. And I could envision that a scenario playing out the same way between LeBron and Davis, should Davis still be on the Lakers and LeBron enters in at a time where LeBron were to go into his fourth season with them as teammates. Do you see any potential in in these guys not getting along in terms of not personality wise, but on the court? It was it was a bit of a clunky fit with with Kobe and Dwight Howard again, two totally separate people. And like you mentioned, it feels like it was two eras ago that they were they were playing together in terms of basketball. But when you look at their games, when you when you look at uh, how they they feed off each other, and I agree with you, I, I think LeBron is going to be at, towards the end of games. He's going to say, all right, you know, this is let AD do his thing and. And kind of be obviously be there and, and be a, the second option, but I think he'll let Anthony Davis kind of take things on his own. But is is there a way you see that there might not fit in terms of how they play with each other and feed off each other on the court? No, I think that they're a great match together. Um, and just to just to sort of tack on but before I get get into that more, I actually think that at the end of games, LeBron and Davis are basically just going to mismatch Hunt. I think they're going to play two man game a lot and i think that they're going to then seek out mismatches and then just punish teams and and so i wouldn't necessarily frame it from from the perspective that lebron is just going to let davis cook i think they're going to run a fair amount of of pick and roll or they'll they'll put each other in sort of two-man game actions via handoffs, dribble handoffs, screen and rolls, um, same side post-up, kick-out actions um, that will highlight their ability to sort of put the defense in compromised positions where they can then attack um, mismatches. So I don't necessarily envision that it's going to be Davis as like the go-to guy. I think that LeBron is still going to be a key decision maker and is going to have the ball in in his hands a lot, um, but that he'll be setting up Davis way more than what, say, he was like setting up like Dwayne Wade or Kyrie Irving. And that sort of gets to the point that 
I wanted to make in relation to to your question in that their games are super complementary to to each other. Davis talking about in the offseason how he's really been working on on his three point shot. That's going to be even um, make it so he's even more of a complementary or complementary fit and and uh, be a symbiotic partner for LeBron James in two-man game actions because Davis is already one of the elite role men in the league um, in terms of finishing and creating gravity as as he's going to the basket. If he can create similar grav gravity as a pop man and shoot in at like league average 37 or 38% on, on three-pointers, he's going to be even more of a devastating force offensively where he's going to force closeouts. He's going to be able to then drive and if not get all the way to, to the basket kick out. And one of the smart things that the Lakers have done, especially in lineups where um, if he is, if guys who were sharing the floor floor with them are Danny green or Alex Caruso, or even a Jared Dudley. And to a certain extent, Kyle Kuzma can do this too, especially as as his game matures, is those guys before Kuzma, the guys that, that I mentioned, are natural ball movers. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have been schooled in, in, well, in the game of swing-swing in terms of off off of kick out pat passes they are looking to make the extra pass if they don't have a wide open shot and if there are swing swing actions and then the ball is swinging to lebron as like the second guy catching the ball he is going to be able to attack into the gaps which is one of his biggest strengths and so I just think both of them on the floor together they're going to create so many problems for well, for defenses, because both of them are so good at attacking and getting to the front of the rim that every player on the court is a beneficiary of that, but especially the best players. And so LeBron and Davis are always going to be one of the two or three best players on the court at any given time, regardless of what opponent they're playing. And if they're still able to threaten the front of the rim. Both of those guys are going to benefit from that just as the ball pings, pings around or as the defense collapses against one of them. Uh, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, we'll wrap up on this, Darius, because that's an interesting way to look at it. And you mentioned, you, like you said, you know what? Those guys, they're, they're two, arguably two of the top five, definitely two of the top 10 players in the world are on the same team with the Lakers, with, with AD and LeBron. And this is something that uh, we touched on a little bit when we kicked off the podcast about uh, Frank Vogel and, and combinations and lineups, and I'm sure it'll change depending on the game and, and the situation and the opponent in terms of matchups. But when you look at the, the Lakers roster right now, and I've heard a lot of people talk about how, who are the Lakers going to start and who's going to be the one and, and whatever. But to me, I look at it, and this is what my old college coaches used to say is, well, it doesn't matter who starts the game, it matters who finishes the game. So when you look at AD and LeBron together, obviously they'll be on the court at the end of close games and where it's competitive. Who do you have on the court with them right now? If you looked at it, uh, you know, no obviously data on, on anything on how things have went. But when you look at the Lakers finishing lineup, who are the five guys you have on the court or the three that you have with LeBron and AD? I, well, I mean, so Danny Green's a given. Um, 
I think that Kyle Kuzma will likely end end up being a player who's who's on the court as well, um, because I think Anthony Davis should be playing center. So let's put Kuzma power forward. Let's put LeBron as or, or let's put LeBron and Kuzma as the forwards, um, and Danny Green at shoe shooting guard at point guard. I I honestly think it's it's just going to depend on matchups, and this is where. Um, depending on what the Lakers need at any given time, I think that it can be any one of four players or sh- should be an, any one of four players. Um, I think Caruso should, should be in that mix. I think, um, Avery Bra- Bradley or KCP should, should be in that mix. And honestly, I think that Quinn Cook should, should be in that mix. I do not think. Rajon Rondo should be closing many <laughs> games for for this team. And and I and I would say this too. I disagree that it does not matter who starts the game. Um just because the player the the players who start the games end up playing most of most of the minutes together as five-man groupings, right? Because they not only start the game, but they start the second half. And so the guys who start the game are almost always going to be either three or four shift players, right? Because they're going to get a shift at the start of the game. They're going to get a shift at the start of the second half. And then they're likely to get a shift at some point in the second quarter and then probably again in the fourth quarter, right? So the players who start are automatically going to get anywhere between you, you know, 22 and 32 minutes a night and 22 would be really low. It'd be like, you're likely a three shift player and, and yours. And one of those three shifts is, is going to be in that four to six minute range. Right. So, I think it is super important who starts the game. And it's one of the reasons why I would not start Rajon Rondo. Um, I don't know if I would start Caruso at this point. Um, I think that he has probably the most well-rounded skill set to be a starter because he can handle the ball some and relieve LeBron of some of those responsibilities, even if LeBron is going to be handling the ball a ton. I think you still want another ball handler who can capably initiate offense. And of and I think that player needs to be able to defend. So I think Cook could could viably initiate some some offense, but I don't think that he's a good enough defensive player. I think that KCP and Avery Bradley could viably be good defensive players against point guards, but I don't necessarily trust them to be offensive initiators, right? And and so it's one of the reasons why I look at Caruso as being good enough in all areas to sort of be a token fifth starter um, and probably be a three or four shift player and play anywhere between like I said, that 22 and probably for Caruso, 26 minutes. Do you start Kuzma? Because I, I, I believe that they shouldn't, uh, because I think he's one of the few guys, if you look past AD and LeBron, who you mentioned, who has a bit of an offensive kick to his game where he, you know he's capable of scoring. 
17, 18, maybe even up to 20 points a game, you know, depending on the season and, and the roster around him. But I think if my opinion, I would go with as the starters. And again, this is totally dependent on, on training camp and how guys who's in shape, who isn't and how the roster kind of fits. I would probably go Caruso. The def- I mean, it doesn't mean he's going to be called the one, but LeBron, I think, will bring up the ball a majority of the time. I'd go Caruso, Danny Green, LeBron, uh, AD, and, and JaVale McGee. Who would you go with as your starters? I mean, I actually think that that's probably going to be the star starting lineup, or it could end up being Dwight Howard instead of JaVale mm-hmm. McGee, honestly. Yeah. But we already know that Anthony Davis is not going to play center to start games. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen. So I, if it were me, um, I probably would start Kuzma because I'd probably be starting Anthony Davis as center. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I would probably do that in the majority of the games and probably token start um, a center against or a more natural big big man, either Dwight Howard or even ja- or a, well, or JaVale McGee against some of the more sort of prolific banging big men. So like maybe Joel Embiid, um, but... Maybe Jokic, maybe, but Jokic plays enough on the perimeter where I'd probably still feel comfortable just saying just AD, that's that's your guy. So there's but there's a handful of big men across the league where I might say, yeah, let's let's not expose Davis to a bunch of pounding down low. Um, Let's not force him to to have to to do that every single game for all of these minutes every single single night. But if, but if it were me, I probably would start Kuzma. Um, And then, and, and then I would probably flex my lineups in certain ways. But I think that the starting lineup that, that you threw out is probably the most realistic except for Caruso, which I think is still just too much of, of an open question. What I will say though, is that, um, this idea that Rondo is a good enough three-point shoe shooter, which Frank Vogel talked about with with Mike Trudell, that's not necessarily wrong. Um, Rondo shoots a good enough percentage to, I think, be a guy who you could say, oh, well, he shoots it well, well enough. My issue with with Rondo is sort of his reluctancy to shoot and how much he likes to have the ball in his hands to initiate possessions and 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 the fact that he just doesn't have the gravity to to draw defenses out to the three-point line when when he's on the court regardless of what his three-point percentages say so if you're going to have Anthony Davis playing power forward and then you're going to start a traditional center um be it JaVale or Dwight Howard I just don't think that you could have a guy like Rondo starting at point guard with that specific group if Davis was playing the five you could maybe convince me that you could start Rondo because then you've got Kuzma in the game as well and it's basically for like you could play five out mm-hmm. yeah that's I I think that's going to be the really interesting thing that shakes out in the first preseason game coming up just less than three weeks from now, October the 5th, 
against the Warriors. But I think this is what people are going to be looking out for. And I'm, I'm excited to see how Frank Vogel kind of shapes things and, and, and does that. Because I, I agree with you. I mean, I think you, me, and a ton of other people in the Lakers blogosphere want nothing to do with Rajon Rondo being on the court for too long. But again, that'll be dependent on, uh, on what the coach says. Darius, this has been fun, man. Thanks again for coming on and doing this. I appreciate you taking the time out. No, thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. And we'll do it again during the season for sure. Oh, for sure, man. That is uh, Darius Soriano. You can follow him on Twitter at Forum Blue Gold. Uh, you can check out his work there as well. Also does some freelance work. Again, officially 30 days away from the NBA season kicking off. Lakers taking on the Clippers October 22nd. Training camp just around the corner next week. Of course, LeBron and those boys all together in Vegas right now. I don't know if they're doing too much work. They're probably getting ready to do some work on a night out on the town. Uh, I'm sure we'll see some Instagram posts about all that. But uh, don't forget, subscribe to our podcast network, the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it. We are there. And of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com. We have you covered for everything Lakers, breaking news, stats, opinions, analysis, and more. That does it for this episode. I'll catch you all next time.